Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to the Friday broadcast of Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett, and this is a ministry of Hickory Ridge Community Church. And as I always remind you on Friday, it's Friday, but Sunday is coming. I don't know why they call Good Friday good. Uh, It wasn't a very good Friday because that was the day that Christ more likely died on the cross. But I guess it's good because of what's going to happen on Sunday. And so I hope that you'll be in church this weekend. Oh, I'd love to see at Hickory Ridge Community Church. We are so excited about what the Lord is doing through our church. And if you'd like to be out in the country, come on out to the country. And, uh, you know, we're very fortunate. Our church sits in the middle of a bunch of fields. And I think this year we're going to have corn fields all around us. But God's blessed us with a beautiful piece of property. We have 35 acres of land. It used to be a farm. I used to be the green farm. And we are so thankful that uh, we had this opportunity to have a church there. And God just raising it up and doing wonderful things. And we would love to have you come and be part of it this Sunday at 9 or 1045. Well, today we are concluding our message on the church persecuted. We're actually going through the book of 1 Peter, and we're going to spend the next few weeks going through the book of 1 Peter. So today it is kind of part two of suffering and salvation. And so if you didn't get the broadcast yesterday, uh, if you go to our church website, you should be able to pull up that broadcast from yesterday because that kind of sets the foundation. And so yesterday we talked about uh, you know, why we are persecuted and, and where should we expect persecution to come from. And so we kind of cover that as foundational. And then today I want to finish up the whole subject of what is the reason for my suffering in, as a Christian, okay? And so we talked about the fact that it is a revealer of the sincerity of our faith. And so Peter says, these things have come. So I want the persecutions. These persecutions have come because it actually reveals your faith so that your faith may be proved or your faith may be tested. You know, many years ago, I was a sales rep for a company called Electroterm. And they uh, they manufactured those crimp-on, the wireless connectors that you see on batteries and things like that and electronics. And they also had wire ties and, and uh, we sold, uh, you know, different kind of wiring products from switches to fuses to you name it, we sold it. Any kind of connector, we sold it. And uh, one of the things that we sold was these wire connectors, and every one of these wire connectors would have what you call a tensile strength. And uh, they would rate these cable ties based upon their strength. So you could get an 8-inch cable tie, for example, with different tensile strength. If you wanted something that could hold 100 pounds, you could get a cable tie that would support 100 pounds. And how did they test these things, right? Uh, they would manufacture this cable tie, and then they would put weights on it and to see what would be the breaking point of that cable tie. And that's where they come up with the tensile strength. The same is true about our faith. Trials come to prove the depth, the strength, and the sincerity of our faith. They have come so that your faith may be approved. And so if you're going through more trials today than you were used to go through, there may be a real reason for it. And it may not be all bad, right? It may be that you have developed a strength of your faith that you can endure so much more now than you could 10 years ago. And the Lord knew that. You didn't know your breaking point, but he knew exactly what your breaking point is. And this is what you call the maturing of the believer. The more mature a believer comes, the more he looks like Christ, and the more pressure he should be able to go through, the more temptation he should be able to go through without breaking. And I think about our church, right? When we started back in 1997, hard to believe we've been at it that long. I remember I would trust the Lord for $250 a week. And that was our rent. We were renting a, a small Rorden club and the rent was $250 a week. And so uh, I would pray, now, Lord, when the offering comes in today, 
Lord, I pray that uh, we'll have $2,000 come in. And so it ended up being about $1,000 a month that we had to trust the Lord for. And then we began to grow, and then God gave us a piece of property. And and then we had to go from trusting the Lord for uh, $1,000 a month to about uh, $2,500 a month. And so we just would break it down each week. And so at first it was $250 a week, and then all of a sudden it's more like $600 every week. And as the church grew, we had to trust the Lord for more and more and more, and he always came through. And well, here we are 25 years later, and uh, now we no longer trust him just for uh, $1,000 a week or $1,500 a week. Now we trust the Lord for $20,000 a week to come in. And uh, thank the Lord, uh, up to this point, has been coming in because of the generosity of God's people, because of all that God's doing through our academy and our daycare and our, our early learning center. But the test of our faith. The more pressure that's put on us, the stronger our faith must be. So God often allows suffering to test the sincerity of our faith. Secondly, we talked about the fact that he does it to strengthen our faith. And our faith is of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though by fire. So as we go through our times of testing, uh, we say, okay, what kind of strength does this have? Not only can it endure this time of hardness, but does it result in praise, glory, and honor? And not that we become, you know, consumed with suffering and, uh, you know, not like we're going to put a little kick me sign on the back of us because we want our faith to be strengthened, but we realize that is a refining process that we go through. God refines us. And so the value of our faith is greater than gold. It's stronger than the American dollar, stronger than the world's economy. So don't be afraid of pressure being placed upon your faith because the testing of your faith, James says, it produces perseverance. And don't fear the judgment of men, Jesus said. He said, rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So we talked about persecution will come our way, suffering comes our way, and it reveals the sincerity of our faith. It reveals the strength of our faith. And then number three, it reveals the source of my faith. What am I going to trust when things go sideways? And so here we see verse number eight, Peter says, you haven't seen him, but you love him. And even though you don't see him now, you believe in him. And you're filled with an inexpressible and a glorious joy. So the source of my faith is revealed when I go through hard times. Who do you run through when the pressure comes on you? 1 Peter 1.21 says, through him, that's Jesus, you believe God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him so that your faith and your hope are in God. D.L. Moody says, faith takes God without any ifs, ands, or buts. I'm going to trust him. Like Job of old, who said, even though he may go ahead and persecute me and may take my life, I'm not going to curse him. My source of faith is in him. He has rule over my life. If he wants to allow persecution to come in my life, then so be it. I will believe in him, and I'll be filled with this joy that is inexpressible, and it's a glorious joy. And then we talk, number four, about the fact that when we go through suffering, it's to talk about the salvation of our soul. It is a result of the salvation of our soul. And here, verse 9 says, you're receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Paul follows that theme up in Romans chapter 6, and he says, but now that you have been set free from sin and you have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. In other words, sometimes God puts this pressure on us 
to break us from this bondage of an unholy life. And because we belong to him, we benefit from that pressure and that it takes us away from things that are unholy. It's actually a result of our eternal life. You know, you think about the greatness of our salvation. You know, our salvation was spoken to us by the prophets who were led by the Spirit, and our salvation is so powerful, right? A.W. Tozer said, to be right with God, however, often means we're in trouble with men. You see, this salvation is what was spoken of by the prophets, and it was a grace that came to us to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing. So our salvation is a byproduct of the fact that Christ suffered greatly to set us free. Now, as we look about this whole subject of God being in control, if we can trust him for our salvation, well, how much more should we trust him with our day-to-day sufferings? There was a pilot that was flying one day, and it was a large jetliner, and they were taking passengers to their destination, and uh, this pilot had his daughter on board. As they're going about this flight, there was some terrible turbulence. The plane went up and down and shaking and started losing altitude. Everybody on the plane was hollering and screaming. Uh, They were about to lose it. They were filled with fear. Everyone except one little girl who sat directly behind the cockpit. When everything finally turned back to normal, a lady sitting next to the little girl leaned over and says, Man, I'm impressed by your calmness. Everybody else on this plane was really upset. But you sat there as if everything was okay. Why were you so calm? The little girl replied, I wasn't afraid because my daddy's flying this plane and he promised me we would make it home safely and I know we're going to make it home safely so I had nothing to worry about. You know, I want you to know when it comes to your suffering, God's got this thing. He's going to hang on to you. It occurred to me that I'm invincible until God has finished his purpose in my life. Uh, No enemy can take my life early. Nobody can accelerate my death date. The Lord has appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. Oh, I want you to know, we are secured by a suffering Savior who understands our suffering, and He will protect us in our times of suffering. I think sometimes God allows suffering in our lives, so also that we can serve others, so that we can identify with the hardships that others face. You know, it was revealed as they went through times of suffering, that they were not serving themselves. This is what the early church is going through. They're figuring out, hey, this is not about us. They were not serving themselves, but they were serving God. You know, a self-serving Christian is actually a contradiction of serve. The church is not meant to be a loosely bound association of, of functional lone rangers. And I think this is what many of us miss, right? We miss that the church is the body of Christ. Paul confronts that type of thinking when he says, bear one another's burdens, or forbear one another's burdens, so fulfill ye the law of Christ. You know, when we go through our times of pain and our times of affliction, God comforts us, and oftentimes he does that through God's people. Paul gets real specific, and he says that God will comfort us in our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any type of affliction with the same comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. In other words, God provides comfort, and then we're not to be hoarders of that comfort, 
we are to comfort others. David Paulson gives an answer this way when he talks about suffering and the sovereignty of God. You see, when you've passed through your own fiery trials, he says, and and you found God to be true to what he says, you have real help to offer. You have firsthand experience of both his sustaining grace and his purposeful design. He has kept you through the pain. He has reshaped you more into his image. What you are experiencing from God, you can give away in increasing measures to others. You are learning both the tenderness and the clarity necessary to help sanctify another person in their time of deepest distress. Oh, I want you to know today that sometimes our sufferings, our afflictions are actually sent to us from heaven. And as we go through these times and how we endure these times, it's something that even the angels can't comprehend. Peter puts it this way in verse number 12. He says, By those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long to look into these things. And then Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, 17, that these light and momentary afflictions are preparing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are not seen are eternal. It was Corey Tin Boone who said, Faith sees the invisible, believes the unbelievable, and receives the impossible. In Psalm 138, it tells us that in the day when I cried out, David cries out to the Lord, He says, you answered me, and you made me bold with the strength I found in my soul. Oh, my friends, if you're going through some hard times today, and we're all going to go through hard times from time to time, you can't get away from that, unfortunately. I want to just trust the Lord to get you through it. As I think about all the difficulties that you can face in life, I'm so glad that we don't go through these times alone. I think about this shooting that has taken place most recently at the Robb Elementary School, and On May 24th of 2022, I think of Ellie Garcia, who was one of the 19 children that was murdered that day. She died about a week before her 10th birthday. Her father shared a photo that he had taken of her in January of 22 uh, of her praying. And it was so moving when I saw this picture. And one of the disadvantages of being on radio is I can't show you a picture of, of this little girl praying. But he wrote of his daughter praying. He says, I love you, baby girl, and I love the way you pray. He also posted a TikTok video, which, which uh, she made recently, where she, she says, Hey, guys, I just wanted to give you a little catch-up. Jesus, he died for us. So when we die, we'll be up there with him. In my room, I have three pictures of him. Now, Ellie sees her Savior face-to-face in such a stark contrast a 10-year-old boy in Florida was arrested on Saturday evening for a threatening text message to attempt a mass shooting. Detectives interviewed the boy and developed a probable cause for his arrest. You know, in such troubled times. Who are we going to look to? Uh, We need more Ellie Garcias who will stand up and realize that Jesus has got it. She had three pictures of him in her bedroom. You know, let's think about what is happening in our world today. Our world has gone sideways, but we can live in victory. We can overcome the world. 
I want to share with you another passage, I think, in the moments that I've left on the broadcast today, and talking about how we can become overcomers. In 1 John 5, 1, it says, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and we observe His commandments. For this is the love of God. And he gives us this definition of how we know we are loving him, that we keep his commandments. You know, his commandments, they're not burdensome. Whoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Oh, I want you to know, my friends, we can be overcomers. You know, the Greek word translated overcomer literally means victor. The verb for that word is the word that we get uh, from that famous tennis shoe called Nike. Uh, The verb means to conquer, to have victory, or to have superiority. It sometimes means to defeat. You see, the Greeks believed that real victory could only be achieved by their gods and not by men. Only the gods were able to be conquerors, and they were unconquerable. The Greek goddess of victory was named Nike. You know, the United States has has even an arsenal missile that's called Nike. You know, I want you to know, we're overcomers. We are able to overcome just as Jesus overcame. He said this in John 16, 33, I have overcome the world. That's a word of victory. Jesus, in fact, says, I have conquered Satan's system. You know, one of the truths about our Christian faith is that we are in Christ, and if Christ can overcome the world, so can we. Not our own strength, but on the strength of Christ. Listen, when you think about victory, victory for the believer is when we are completely controlled. That is to be self-controlled by the Spirit of God. That's what self-control is. Spirit control is self-control. Our minds are alert. We are told to have minds that are alert and fully sober. Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed that is coming. You know, a person without self-control. Solomon says that person is like this city with broken down walls. Maybe you're listening to me today and say, man, my life is falling apart because I lack self-control. Your life will continue to fall apart until you become spirit-controlled. You see, the spirit of God that God has given us is not a timid spirit. It's a spirit of power and of love and of self-control. Listen, I want you to know, the love of Christ can control you. If you will surrender to that love, let him completely control you, and you'll discover that you'll have victory. There's another way that you can have victory. When you understand that you are completely hopeful. My hope is in Christ. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. You know, one day two hunters were out hunting. And they end up getting lost. One hunter says to the other hunter, I heard that if you fire three of these shots up in the air, someone will find you. To which the other hunter replied, well, let's do it. So they fired three shots into the air. And after an hour had passed, they decided to fire three more shots into the air. Two hours passed and one of the hunters said, let's try it once more. The other hunter replied, okay, but I sure hope it works this time. I only have three arrows left. (laughs) Well, you can see uh, their hope was in the wrong thing. I think many Christians are so defeated today because 
They're putting their hope in a political system, in a candidate, in a change in government, in a change in a political party. Listen, our hope is in the Lord. You're going to be disappointed every time if you put your hope in a political candidate. I've discovered every time I vote, about half the time, the candidate that I vote for doesn't get elected. So I stopped hoping in the political process a whole long time ago. Whenever I see something great happen, I don't know if anything that has greatly happened because of a political party. Great things happen when God's people get surrendered to God, when God's people start confessing their sins and turning from their sins, lifting up the name of Christ, sharing the gospel wherever they go. Our hope is in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. You know, there's other ways that we can find hope, but somebody said, hope waits for the promise, but faith goes for the promise. Hope observes and acknowledges faith, and faith apprehends the acts. Hope says it will happen. Faith says it has happened. Hope says I have faith, and faith says I have it. You see, when you think about hope, it's not talking about hope as we often think of hope. Like, I hope the bus will pick me up. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. Biblical hope is that confidence that certainty that it's going to happen. Hebrews 6.19 says, The certain hope of being saved is a strong and a trustworthy anchor for our souls, connecting us with God himself. You see, hope means hoping when things are hopeless. You know, when you think about hope, that's when we need it the most. When we're under pressure, what are we putting our faith in? What are we putting our confidence in? You know, there's something else I've learned about hope. When you think about hope, it's being completely controlled by God. It's being completely hopeful no matter how bad circumstances are. And then lastly, it's being completely obedient. That's where we can stand up under times of suffering. Verse number 14 says, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires that you had when you lived in ignorance. Completely obedient. Teacher Bonhoeffer said, Only he who believes is obedient, and only he who is obedient believes. What we obey is what we have our faith in. Peter's point is very simple. The more mature you are, the more obedient you are. The more you grow in the Lord, the more you obey the Lord. Okay, so no matter what adversity comes your way, you will put your confidence in Him. Here's what Randy Posh, the author of The Last Lecture, wrote about adversity. And I think this is so important, right? He writes, the brick walls are there for a reason. You know, we think about a brick wall and brick walls are, are there to keep us out. The brick walls are there to give us a chance to show how badly we want something. Because the brick walls are there to stop the people who don't want it badly enough. They're there to stop the other people. Have you ever thought about that? Now I'm talking about some good old-fashioned tenacity, breaking through things because you realize that God is in control, obeying Him no matter what happens because you realize all things are going to work out together for good. You know, as I think about suffering and I think about persecution, our joy should be intact, our holiness should be intact, our obedience should be intact. We are told in verses 15 and 16, There's a component of holiness that comes when we're under pressure. He says, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy 
in all that you do. For as it is written, be holy because I am holy. So I want to ask you a question. Who do you want to live for? Christ or yourself? Holiness is a little like refinishing furniture. It's a two-stage process. It involves taking off the old and replacing it with the new. The old is the lies that you have learned to tell and the lies that you constantly hear about yourself. It is the attitudes and the ideas that have become part of your thinking, but they don't reflect reality. There's a new truth. To renew your mind is to involve yourself in the process of allowing God to bring to the surface that which lies mistakenly and that which has been accepted in you, and then you replace it with truth. You see, to the degree that you do this, your behavior will be transformed. No matter if persecution comes, no matter if good times come, you almost become immune to those. You're no longer living under your circumstances, you're living above them because you realize that God is ultimately in control. Well, thank you so much for listening today. I'd love to pray for you. Give me a call or shoot me a text at 252-267-2365. God bless you. Thank you for listening. Don't forget, Sunday is church. So get into your church. If you don't have a church home, come on and see us at Hickory Ridge Community Church. God bless you. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.